This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Downey. Our guest this week is Andy Levine, President and CEO of the American Seed Trade Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta Products and Services, helping farmers increase their return on investment. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Andy Levine, next. Commodity prices remain under pressure. That's why now, more than ever, farmers are focused on their return on investment. More and more, farmers depend on Syngenta products and services designed to increase their ROI. See the Syngenta Seed Innovations, made for better ROI. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The Biotechnology Innovation Organization and the American Seed Trade Association have launched a new platform to discuss innovation in food and agriculture called Innovature. Andy Levine, president and CEO of ASTA, says consumer acceptance of gene editing and having open markets to global customers are two of the biggest issues facing his members. The Trump administration is looking to address a lot of those issues that we've faced over the years and haven't been able to get to trade, whether it's because of previous administrations didn't want to address them or Capitol Hill could not address them politically. But you know, there is some areas there that, that needed to be addressed. How they're addressed, well, that's up to the administration, and I don't get phone calls, Jeff, to find out whether I like that or not, but I think those have to be addressed. The other that's really exciting for us is this whole concept of evolving innovation in genetic understanding for the plant breeding community. And as we look at that, that really is our um, our opportunity to really improve seed varieties that are coming to the market for America's farmers and homeowners. It would be my observation that we've learned some things the hard way in the fact that science is operating at one pace and yet consumer perception and consumer attitude operating at another pace, not just domestically but especially globally. You're exactly right. Your your feeling of that is what is impacting, I think, the ability to bring innovation into the food and ag world. We know in Congress and we know in the public we've got a very small percent of people that have an understanding of agriculture or have worked on a farm or lived on a farm or have taken agriculture classes that are science-based. And so that understanding of genetics or um, agronomics or plant physiology is very small and that realizing how much that understanding is now helping the evolution of innovation in our industry and plant breeding in our industry is incredible. So it's difficult to convey to the consumer that this is a good thing. We're able to, to provide some solutions that will help, you know, as we like to look at our base for our new program, you know, it'll help our planet, it'll help our health, and it'll help our food. And we think that's a win-win for everyone involved. And it's just a challenge. When you look at science today, and I don't care whether you're talking about human health, you're talking about animal health or plant health, there is a fair amount of misunderstanding on how food is produced. And trying to have that conversation about it is difficult because a lot of people have some already set feelings about it, and it's hard to move that needle. Before we move into the area that we want to talk about in terms of the cooperative arrangement, let's talk about trade. Now, trade, if you look at a soybean farmer that at one time sold China, over 1.3 billion bushels of soybeans in a single year, and now that's just a few hundred million. You understand their angst over trade. 
But with regard to trade and the American Seed Trade Association, how does it affect you? Well, it affects us greatly. On the one hand, those are our seed companies' customers and partners that are impacted, the corn growers and the Soybean Association and the members of Farm Bureau and the Farmers Union and the state grower groups. And so that's a, a huge impact. They're our partners. Secondarily, though, we rely on certain parts of the world to do counter-seasonal production for risk management. There are places in the world where we have to still create some open-pollinated varieties and vegetables and flowers. We can't do that in the United States, whether it's because of you know size of field you need or isolation you need or just labor force. Um, I can't imagine trying to train a labor force here in the United States to do hand pollination for flowers. But there are certain places in the world we can do that, uh, China being one of those. And if all of a sudden we're sending our parent lines to China to do multiplication and then bringing it back, you're bringing back your own product and you're having to pay 10% tariff on it. It's not a Chinese product. It was just made there. So it's those kind of things that in the trade world that we impact. And one last thing, Jeff, that is a major issue for us is every time we move seed, there is a phytosanitary concern. And every country in the world has their own phytosanitary regulations that can be extremely burdensome and really disrupt commerce for our member companies. So we play a key role in interacting with our government and those countries' governments to try to facilitate that movement of seed so it doesn't become a burden on commerce. Does the president's concern over intellectual property apply to the Seed Trade Association and China? It certainly does. When you put a seed in your production line and in, in a parent seed or whether it's the seed that you are, are selling, that is just like a chip in a computer. It has all of the intellectual property from that company that it took to develop that variety to make it resistant to certain diseases or pests, make it more tolerant in weather, uh, either drought or too much uh, water, or make it comply better with the light days and things like that that people don't think about. But that's the intelligence within that seed to make it perform to its peak opportunity. So then thinking as well about trade, and we mentioned again, and we're coming back to consumer perception, it's also been an issue of the pace at which countries like China or the European Union or other customers have accepted the new science that we've been able to apply and can apply for field solutions for farmers. It really is, and we spend a great deal of time working with our peers in those countries to help them explain what the U.S. industry is doing, share opportunities or, or uh, material that we develop. The really interesting thing we find, Jeff, is a, a fair amount of the research leaders in a lot of countries around this world were trained at our land-grant institutions here in the U.S., and so they have an understanding of intellectual property and the various ways to protect in, in the U.S., and they are good contacts for us to use when we're working in those those other countries to share some of the the meaning or, or the opportunity for technology transfer as well as dealing with intellectual property. So then looking as well to trade agreements and that closer to home, I can find more than one that don't like tariffs and don't like to use tariffs, but most would suggest that the utilization by this administration of tariffs helped to bring Mexico and Canada to the table for a new agreement called USMCA. How did those tariffs in place now still affect your industry, and how quickly, in your opinion or your members' opinion, do they need to go away? 
Well, I'll answer the second one first. Uh, we'd like them to go away yesterday, but obviously they are a key component of having those countries at the table to try to renegotiate or negotiate trade agreement, whether we're talking Japan or the EU or we're talking China, Mexico, and Canada. So we look at them as something that we'd like to get addressed immediately. Our products are covered under the general tariffs, and as I said, a lot of times our seed is sent to another country, say China, to be multiplied, and then it comes back to the U.S. to be conditioned, bagged, and moved on to, to the farmers. Uh, we do the same thing in a number of countries around the world, Mexico being one of those. And so it's, it's kind of ironic that we're sending our product over. All the Chinese are doing is multiplying it, and then they're sending it back to us for all the work to be done, and it's still our product. So it, it, that to us is, is where we're getting impacted by uh, by the tariffs, and you know, it automatically raises the price of that seed 10%. For uh, and you still have to compete with people who have operations outside the U.S. Andy, the American Seed Trade Association has partnered, and there is a website that I'd like to move us and talk about now that supports Innovature. That's i n n o v a t u r e dot com. What is Innovature, and who are your partners? Well. Innovature is a joint platform that we've developed for having a dialogue about the innovation and change in food and agriculture production. In our case, it's especially focusing on plant breeding methods. We have a joint project uh, with the Biotechnology Innovation Organization, or BIO, and we are looking at plants and animals and also microbes because a lot of our companies work in that microbe space. And talking about principally breeding and how it continues to evolve and our understanding of the genetics in plants and animals and having a conversation with the public, influencers, the media, uh, science community about how this innovation is good for all and how it should not be something that's, that's feared or raises significant concerns. How can this dialogue help the common good? Well, I think in, like we, in many parts of our society today, we have concerns about science and evolving science. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about humans or animals or plants. Science with what we do is constantly changing. It's the same as the science with our cell phones and our cars and our computers and the Internet. Th- that kind of research is constantly ongoing and evolving in plants. And so we want to be able to ha- help people see about that change, understand what's going on, talk to a plant breeder if they'd like to, to better understand that, because there is a lot of very, very interesting things that are happening pretty rapidly because our ability to analyze genetics has changed. And so we're trying to help folks understand that this shouldn't be a major concern. And if I have a concern, innovation is a place for me to go. I can go ask a question. I can disagree with people. I can agree. I can get information that I may have had to dig a lot deeper for in one spot here. Andy, what's the difference between what has been known as popular as a GMO crop and now this next wave that is called gene editing? First off, they're the same as they're both breeding methods. A way to get to developing a new variety that is beneficial to both the consumer, uh, you know, society, uh, the environment, as well as the farmer. And we believe that these breeding methods help uh, along the way. And gene editing is, it has evolved essentially through all of the understanding that we've had over the, you know, 30, 50 years 
in mapping genomes and, and better understanding what makes the plant do what it does. You know, with GMO, you're bringing in a trait from outside the plant family and something that helps it either fight disease or fight pests or deal with herbicide tolerance because the growth of weeds is one of the biggest problems that any farmers have around the world. And so how do you address that major problem they have? You do it with uh, developing a GMO, as we've seen. But with gene editing, what we're doing is we're taking a specific characteristic within a plant or a plant's family, maybe a wild relative, that is good for improved nutrients or improve flavor in a tomato or lettuce. And you're just taking that one characteristic and putting it into a commercial variety that is a good performer, but it doesn't quite have the flavor you want, and you just replace it in that same spot on the commercial variety. The challenge that breeders always have is when you breed through what we would call the conventional process today, you get all the bad genetics too. And so you've got to continue to back cross to get rid of the bad genetics, hope you keep that good characteristic you're looking for that you can then bring to market. And it's a challenging 7- to 10-year process that with gene editing, we can be very precise and take just what we'd like and bring it into that variety that is commercial. We have some plant breeders, plant physiologists doing some amazing work today that at some point will come to market that will improve efficiencies of inputs to help our planet or our environment, you know, maybe uh, to better utilize nitrogen, to better use the agrochemicals that are there to kill pests or disease, uh, to improve nutrition value, which helps our health, and improve the flavor or the size or the shelf life, which helps with our food and could potentially develop new new varieties like plant breeders have within the last couple of years, like things we haven't seen, like broccolini. You know, things that, those are new crops. They haven't been here. We created them. Can this gene-edited crop be a story or a segment for sustainability in agriculture? We really believe it, and that is one of the tenets of Innovature as we move forward. Our planet is key. I mean, as we've talked to consumers you know, moms, millennials, and foodies. I, I have the same concern, you know, with my family. I want to leave a better environment. I want to help improve the environment. We believe that plant breeding can play a really base, foundational role in that, and we think that gene editing could do that to help improve the efficiency of that plant and more efficiently use those agrochemicals and fertilizers that we absolutely need. So then thinking about plants, if we had the ability to gene edit an, an orange tree to prevent uh, citrus greening or certain diseases that are highly susceptible in major crops of, of wheat or corn or soy. If we could just change the plant and resist those disease, that would be a certain boon, not just for the farmer, but for the consumer. Absolutely would be, and, and your example of, of oranges is a perfect one. Citrus greening is devastating. The orange industry in Florida, and it's now been found in Texas and in California, but half of the acreage of uh, citrus in Florida has been impacted. They've lost 500,000 acres in Florida, and they're trying to figure out how to manage that. So they are looking at gene-edited trees. They've found a resistance gene and other citrus varieties that they can bring into their commercially producible varieties that commercially produce orange juice. They're really making some good progress there. They may find the solution that way. But it's the same with, with diseases that are impacting wheat production, bananas globally, cassava. 
there's a lot of work that's being done around the world that gene editing can find a solution. The consumer would be amazed at how many wild varieties within a specific family, like citrus or lettuce, that have resistance to certain diseases. That's why they survive. That's why they look like weeds, but it's actually a ancestor of lettuce. So it's pretty interesting stuff to, to be involved with. So in this dialogue, for the consumer that is not familiar with this level of science, how do you have that conversation, and do you have any question in your mind that these products are safe? Well, first, I have no question in my mind at all that these products are safe. Plant breeders in our community go through extensive review processes before they go to market. They look for all the obvious things, flavor, taste, other things, but they also know, depending on the plant variety, what concerns may be there because, again, Mother Nature has bred, it's bred into these plants certain defense mechanisms. And how do we make sure that those defense mechanisms wouldn't cause a problem in human consumption? So they go through all of those processes. And these products are still regulated by any process that current food coming to market is. EPA, the Food and Drug Administration, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture still have control of these products. We feel that it's completely safe and we're completely comfortable with these products in the marketplace. So as Innovature is trying to foster this conversation about food, it's not just about plants. It's also about animals. And I think of avian influenza and chickens and the PED B virus that hit the swine industry. Can gene editing help us with livestock as well? It really can. There's some very, very interesting things that are being researched today, and this effort is in conjunction, as I mentioned, with bio. And we've taken the plant lead, and bio has taken the animal lead, but we're working very closely together on this. And there are some amazing things that the public, if you're not familiar with an agriculture or livestock operation, don't understand. There are some diseases in the pork industry with raising hogs and some of the the PERS disease and, and the impact that it can have on a herd and the ability to develop resistance of the PERS disease to not have to use any types of vaccinations or antibiotics. And there's a lot of other examples there on the livestock side that are, that are just very interesting and will improve the efficiency of food production. So then let's talk back then about Innovature. What was the goal of bringing this together, and what kinds of questions and what kind of dialogue do you want to have as a result of this at this platform? Well, the way that we look at this is is uh, we want to have a dialogue with those people that um, the public has an interest in their conversations, uh, trust their viewpoints, um, l- look at how... Um, Someone analyzes the situation and then communicates it out to their followers. So those influencers are key. The retail community. We have relied on the retail community to carry the message in the past, and we've just handed that off. How can we work with the retail community and the food community, food processing community, more closely as a partnership? How can we help uh, convey the information that needs to be conveyed to the consumer? And other influences, whether they're chefs or nutritionists or or others that the public has confidence in, those are the areas that we're trying to go to and have our conversation. We know that we don't have the resources to go out to the consuming public and try to change their mind or have that dialogue. We can have that dialogue through that influencer community. So that's where our major focus is. And 
uh, stakeholders. We would say those stakeholders are the growers, obviously, but also food processing companies and the retailers. So why now? We think now is important because we're on the cusp of many products coming to marketplace. And when the uh, public hears about gene editing, most of the information coming out and the articles they read are on human gene editing and the potential there. And we're starting to see more and more interest in this. And you know, to be honest, Jeff, our young plant breeders coming out of the land-grant institution and other places are being trained in these methods. They see this as you know, the next step in plant breeding that they want to utilize to help address a lot of the issues that they're concerned about. They're concerned about our, our earth, our planet. They're concerned about human health, and they're concerned about food. They were raised in that foodie world, and they see great opportunity here. They also see great concern that if all of a sudden they're trained on it, and then they're not able to use it when they get out in the field. So we think it's the right time to uh, get out there and be right out front and have the conversation and not wait until it gets too late. Well, Andy Levine, we want to thank you very much for taking time from certainly a busy schedule for you to spend with us here on Open Mic. Andy, it's Open Mic, and you have the last word today. Well, thanks very much for, the, for having the opportunity or giving us the opportunity to have this conversation. We're excited about it. We think there's a lot going on in uh, this specter, and we're really proud of what our community, both the public and private parts of the plant breeding world and animal breeding world, bring to the marketplace. Uh, we hope that your, your listeners will go to www.innovature.com uh, for some of the information on that and, and partake in the, uh, the uh, discussion. We're on uh, Twitter as well, and it's Innovature or at Innovature now. Last thing I'll say is we put out a fantastic video, and it's on YouTube. It's uh, with UC Davis folks, and it's entitled Lettuce versus Climate Change. Encourage people to take a look at that because it really hits home on what our public readers are doing to address some of those major issues that are impacting our life today, you know, our planet, our health, and our food. So, Jeff, thanks for the opportunity. Our thanks to Andy Levine, President and CEO of the American Seed Trade Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta, Syngenta Products and Services, helping farmers increase their return on investment. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.